Welcome to Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star's daily sports podcast. It's Thursday, November 19th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. Chiefs Raiders is the topic today. Who's available to play? Why did the Chiefs lose the first meeting? And what gets Patrick Mahomes motivated are among the topics. Also, in honor of John Gruden's bus lap around Arrowhead Stadium after the victory, our group of Sam Mellinger, Vahe Gregorian, Sam McDowell, and Herbie Teope came up with their lists of famous perceived slights in sports. You'll get a kick out of some of the choices. So let's get going with the show that started as a Sports Beat Live on Thursday. Hey, good morning and welcome to Sports Beat Live. We're the Kansas City Star reporters who cover the Chiefs get together on Thursday to talk about this week's game. Hey, I missed you guys. I missed all of you guys. Sam McDowell, Sam Mellinger, Vahe Gregorian, and Herbie Teope's in there somewhere. I know he is. I've already seen him. Um, Chiefs didn't play last week. There's Herbie. What's up, man? Uh, <laughs> Chiefs didn't play last week, so we had the college basketball guys in here. Had a good time talking college hoops, but we're back on track talking Chiefs, and it's Raiders week. So, And a lot to talk about with the Raiders. So I've already introduced the guys, and Sam's in the office. I, I, you know, if I get out of my seat and looked behind me, I would see Sam. How you doing, Sam? I'm here, man. All right, all right, great. Um, let's uh, let's start where we always do. Uh, but before we do, let's uh, invite you to give us your questions and comments, and let's talk about the Chiefs Raiders game, the Chiefs Patrick Mahomes, anything Chiefs related, and we will get to as many of them as we can. But we'll start where we always do. And that is with Herbie batting leadoff, talking about personnel decisions, changes, injuries, all of that. And this may take a while <laughs> because uh, there, there's been a lot going on on both sides, uh, Chiefs and Raiders. Let's start on the Chiefs side, though, Herbie. We've got um, some, some news about players returning and some not back yet. Yeah, I'm going to bury the lead here. Uh, we'll start off with the players who are kind of returning. Alex Okafor is back. Uh, he's designated to return from injured reserve, which means the Chiefs now have a 21-day window to decide whether to activate him. It remains to be seen if he will be available for this week's game, obviously on injured reserve with a hamstring injury. Legereus Sneed, their cornerback, he might be back this week. His 21-day window should expire before Sunday's game, so the Chiefs should probably pull him up back to the active roster if they feel he's he's healthy enough to play. Uh Sammy Watkins, wide receiver, first school practice Wednesday for the first time since week five. So, uh, you know, the bye week did him well. They should get him back into the lineup, and that should help out that offense. Uh, you know, they've had to spread the ball around a lot without Watkins in the lineup. Now, here's the big stuff here. Uh, Mike Remmers is limited, was limited Wednesday with a rib injury. You've had Rashad Fenton, who was limited with an ankle injury. Uh, he suffered that injury in week nine against the Carolina Panthers, so before the bye week. Remmers... Uh, injury is going to be worth watching very closely because here's where the lead was buried. The Chiefs currently have four players on the COVID or the reserve COVID-19 list, and that includes starting left tackle Eric Fisher, starting right tackle Mitchell Schwartz, backup offensive lineman Martinez Rankin, and second-year wide receiver McCole Hardman. There's a lot of stuff at play here. Uh, whether they'll be available on Sunday remains uh, how they do in the protocol system and the Raiders right now, goodness, uh, they, they got a lot of defensive players and players on their roster right now on the COVID-19 list. So COVID is rearing its head again. 
uh, remains to be seen. We'll have to wait and see uh, probably on Friday exactly how this shakes out. Yeah, that, that's a lot of information, a lot of uh, uncertainty uh, with with the rosters. The, um, uh, the the Rimmers thing, you know, you would you would just when you when you see that on the on the injured on the injured list, you just say, ah, you know, it's it's backup offensive lineman. It's no big deal, but it it can possibly be a big deal depending on the status of uh, of Schwartz and and uh, uh, Fisher. So are we to think now that Schwartz is back is okay and that's not a problem for him anymore? Well, yesterday during the Wednesday's press conference, Andy Reid said he's, Schwartz is not practicing because of the back injury. But, you know, the, the truth of it is he's still on the COVID-19 list. Uh, you know, Schwartz aggravated a back injury in week six, so he hasn't played in three straight games. And the key thing here is they're, they're very light on the offensive line right now. Martinez Rankins was a guy who could – play swing tackle and he can also play guard unfortunately he's on the reserve COVID-19 list and when you look at this offensive line right now who do they have to fill in if Fisher and then Schwartz is out and maybe even if Remmers is limited the rest of the week and if he somehow declared out they're in a world of hurt up, five, up front okay all right and and you touched on the Raiders that's quite a uh, storyline going on in Las Vegas and Raider Nation this week it's um uh, up to ten, right? Uh, players that on the on the COVID list. One of those is is Cleveland Farrell, and he's likely he's he is tested positive. Uh, the other ones are on, on the on the list because of contact tracing and could play. I think I think the likelihood of Farrell not playing is good. The the other players, you know, better than fifty fifty. That we're going to see most of those guys on Sunday night. I don't know, because this is such a fluid situation. You know, we had John Gruden on the conference call yesterday, and, you know, he kind of downplayed it. But the Raiders have been dealing with COVID throughout the entire season. Don't forget the league levied a, a massive fine on them because of how they've been dealing with some of the COVID protocols. But th this is a situation, and it's not isolated to just the Chiefs and the Raiders. This is something that's going on around the league over the last couple of weeks. You can't go on news sites anywhere without seeing someone going on the reserve COVID list because it's what we live in today. Yeah. We always go to Sam McDowell for our, um, for our wagering, um, you know, uh, questions. And I, I think I read somewhere this morning that uh, Chiefs Raiders is off the board right now. Is that true, Sam? Yeah, it is on some sites on some, it's still on, but yeah, some have pulled it off just because I mean, heck it's half the Raiders starting defense. Yeah, I mean that's and that's what happens, right? That's how that's how uh, games get pulled off the the, the betting board is uh, uncertainty of player availability. You, you certainly see it with quarterbacks. Um, yeah. I, I don't know how many times this has happened this year in the NFL because of COVID, but um, what about? I also heard the possibility of maybe not that game, not the, the Chiefs Raiders not being played Sunday night. Um, has anybody heard that uh, suggestion? I haven't heard it, but you, you got to figure that's on the table. I mean, like, like Sam McDowell was mentioning there earlier, is like so many players are missing, and there's no guarantee leading up to Sunday, you know, five straight days of testing negative. Uh, when did that window open? The window opened yesterday when the Raiders placed all their players on COVID-19. So if you do five days, my math is correct. You know, they got to test again Sunday and be negative. This is a situation that is that has uh, affected the National Football League a lot this year, and and the Chiefs certainly were 
part of this because they've had what two or three games pushed to Monday night. So it, could it happen here again? Or maybe uh, you know, the league's going to have to scramble to figure out who's going to fill that Sunday night spot. Uh, but it, it's you got to figure it's on the table. You know, the other thing about that that's interesting, the Chiefs, if I if I remember this right, we're in that situation as the home team, at least with the Patriots. And if I recall correctly, the Patriots, it was so last minute, right? They ended up flying in day of the game because of the way that nature of the testing. So, Herbie, if I understand this correctly or any of you guys, then the Chiefs may not be in position to know until Sunday if this is on, if 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 this keeps stacking up the way it is. And would, would they then not leave until Sunday? Um, I guess that's a legitimate question for them this week to find out what, how they're looking at their travel plans, which would, you know, Andy is an adaptable guy, but he's also a creature of habit. That, that would drive him bonkers to fly in day of the game. Mitigated by it being a night game. Um, yeah. 7-20 game. So, um, all right. So let's uh, – uh, Let's say hello to Lizbeth, Chris, hence Richard. Uh, uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, Richard joining us from Austria. Uh, great to a gray afternoon in Austria. Uh, very sunny, clear, and and, uh, and and breezy here in in Kansas City. Um, let's start with this. Chiefs are eight and one. Raiders are six and three. Uh, both teams certainly would be in the playoffs if the season ended today. Uh, the eight and one record is. Um, the only blemish is, of course, the, the Raiders' 40-32 to 32 victory in Kansas City at Arrowhead Stadium in Week 5. So let's, let's try to remember what happened that day. Why did the Chiefs lose this game? What, what were the, bigger, the, the biggest factors for the Chiefs on that day? Melly, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, the problems were on defense mostly. Um, you know, they scored 32 points. I understand that they got eight late, but – um, I, I, the, the thing that I keep thinking about when I think about the game is, uh, they got just basically no, no pressure on Derek Carr. Um, when they did, um, I think it was like seven or eight snaps. Uh, one of those was the interception. Um, and th I mean, that's, that's who Derek Carr is. If, if, if you give him time, um, they've got a lot of weapons. Um, their wide receivers are really good. Um, he, he can pick you apart, but if you get pressure on him, he panics. And, and then the other thing is they, they had some either miscommunications or, if you believe Steve Spagnuolo, uh, some bad calls on defense. And, and I'm thinking in particular of the, what was it, 72-yarder to, to Ruggs. Yeah. Uh, and, and on that play, you had Charverius Ward one-on-one -on -one with Ruggs with no safety over the top. And, and Ruggs is just going to run by him like he's a fence post. And I, watching that live, I, I, I would assume that, um, that somebody, whether it was Sorensen or, or, or Matthew, was supposed to be over the top. But later on, Steve Spagnuolo took the blame, I guess, for that. And you never know, is a coach covering for the players or whatever. But um, those are the things I remember is uh, no pressure on the quarterback and either miscommunication or, or, or bad calls in the back. I, th I thought there were three things, those two. And then the offensive line had, I think, its worst game of the season that day, too, which is why Schwartz and Fisher potentially both being out is really big, especially with Crosby on the end for the Raiders. That That's the matchup I think that the Raiders are looking at saying, this is where we can cause some trouble this week. And, you know, tie, just tying all that together, I mean, they did seem just kind of flat-footed one way or another on defense, right? They couldn't generate the pressure. Um, it seemed like there were some schemes they weren't ready for. Um, 
some uh, some miscommunication in the defensive backfield. I thought it was interesting yesterday during Andy Reid's teleconference. He, he he said it in a very subtle way, but I remember him saying something to the effect of uh, that that Spagnola will have defenses that are set up for this offense this time. Something something like that, or that are specific to this defense. I, I I'm I'm sorry, I don't remember the exact wording, but it stood out to me as, as like a, you know, we were a little off balance, weren't quite in sync for this. When you look at that game, to me, the thing that jumps out the most, a defense can survive maybe giving up one or two explosive plays. Explosive plays defined as 20 yards or more. The Raiders had a whopping seven explosive plays, six of them coming through the air, one of them coming through the ground. And then you're giving up huge chunk yards, 20 yards or more, you're going to lose the game. And they gave up seven of them that game, and they really clamped down after that Raiders game because I think it's like they're only averaging maybe one or two per game since that since week five. And that, that's, that means they've turned around, they've fixed all of the communication issues, but you just cannot give up seven explosive plays in a single game. Well, I'll add one more to the pile. I Even with the explosive plays, the, the long touchdown passes to Aguilar and, and to Ruggs happened, I think, in the second quarter, certainly in the first half. And yet it was tied at halftime. You know, it was the, the Chiefs took those shots and surprised, it was everybody was surprised because the Chiefs went into that game. One of the storylines going into that game was just how improved the Chiefs' pass defense has been. And, and then they get burned like that twice in the first half. But it's 24 24 at halftime, and I think if you're a Chiefs fan, you're thinking, wow, you just took the Raiders' best shot, best shot. They came in here and ready to ready to play, had a, had a playbook design, almost like an Andy Reid scheme uh, used against them. But at halftime, it's tied. The Raiders got the ball to start the second half, and the Chiefs went three and out on them. You know, they had to punt back to the you – know, here we go. You know, Patrick Mahomes, the offense, uh, Chiefs, are, Chiefs are ready to roll. That started a streak of four straight possessions for the Chiefs in which they didn't score. They went punt, 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 and then Patrick Mahomes' only interception of the year. It's the longest stretch without a point by the Chiefs this season. They're playing at home. They're playing against a Raiders defense that really had been uh, average until then, and they could not generate anything offensively for the the entire third quarter and then in sort of the fourth quarter. And by then – the Raiders had scored 16 unanswered points. They'd taken a 40 to 24 lead. And and yes, they did the Chiefs did have a touchdown at the end. And the Raiders had to, I thought it was a smart move on Gruden's part to go for a fourth and one around midfield uh, on their final possession and not give the ball back to the Chiefs. But that allowed the Raiders to go into victory formation and end the game without giving the ball back to Patrick Mahomes. So I think it was pretty much a total disaster for for the Chiefs uh, that day. I think the Raiders' power running game had a big impact also. The, the, the Raiders had a huge time of possession uh, advantage, and that's, how you, uh, that's one of the recipes to beat the Chiefs is to keep Patrick Mahomes and that offense off the field. But, man, to go four straight possessions uh, without a score. There have only been two other occasions this year where the Chiefs went as many as three straight possessions without a score. So that's, um, I, I think that was pretty, pretty major for, for the Chiefs. What, one other thing real quick, Chris Boone um, just made a really good point, I thought, in the comments about Legereus Sneed. Um, they, they missed him. And, and Herbie, we expect him to, to play? Yeah, well, it depends because this is the – remember, when, you, when you're when you designated to return from practice while you're on injured reserve, because he's still on injured reserve. They have a 21-day window 
to activate him to the to the 53 player roster. And since he returned like the week before the bye, that window is probably going to be this week. So if they're going to activate him, it'll probably be Saturday. And and if he can play, um, he solves some of those problems. Um, you know, he, he could he can run with runs um, in, in a way that nobody else on that defense can. That's a it's uh, a good point by Chris. And that's agreeable because remember Sam during training camp he was hanging with friggin' Tyreek Hill. That was pretty impressive. Well, one quarterback who's not going to play that uh, hence Todd's asking about is DeAndre Baker. What uh, We should have gotten to him earlier uh, as part of our sort of our uh, personnel discussion. But, yeah, the Chiefs added uh, a first-round draft pick cornerback from 2019 in, in DeAndre Baker. He's uh, been assigned to the practice squad, and I suspect we'll see him up with the, with the varsity uh, uh, pretty, pretty soon. But – Herbie, what's the story on on DeAndre Baker? Because there is a heck of a story with with this, <laughs> this Georgia second round, uh, first round pick. Well, the story of this, goodness gracious, you know. And the thing about all this was the Giants cut him after all the legal issues popped up down there in Florida. He was charged, I think, it was four charges of armed robbery, and eventually he was exonerated he, along with Quentin Dunbar from the Seattle Seahawks. They were involved in that, but. Dunbar was exonerated. Uh, DeAndre Baker was exonerated. But that situation cost him his job in New York. And if you're the Chiefs and if you can claim or not claim, but if you can sign a former first round draft pick to, to your roster, uh, remember, because of COVID this year, your, your 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 practice squad rules are a lot different from past seasons. So it's not very often you see a first round player on a practice squad. But because he's there, you know, you have the opportunity to protect him from other teams poaching him. And then if you feel like he's ready, if he's absorbed the system, then you can go ahead and elevate him. And now you all of a sudden you've got a first round cornerback on your active roster. So that was a very savvy move from the Chiefs. Andy Reid said yesterday, hey, we're going to expect DeAndre Baker to, to work hard and to keep his nose clean. So, you know, he's got a clean slate right now and he's got to take advantage of it because he's got to put everything that happened during the offseason behind him. Yes, it cost him his job in New York, but my goodness, to have a second chance with the Kansas City Chiefs and then. That locker room where they've got solid leadership, it's a win-win. I think that's a good point. And is there a comment to be made on players like Le'Veon Bell and DeAndre Baker coming to Kansas City? And um, it's almost as you know, in the week that Brett Beach uh, contract extension is announced. It's like if the Chiefs want you, the Chiefs are going to get you. And hasn't always been that way in Kansas City. But is that a – is that a reflection of a, a, a Super Bowl championship and, and where the Chiefs are right now and what their standing is in the NFL? It's funny. I remember being gathered around a table with Brett Veach at the Super Bowl, and I can't remember if this was Sam Mellinger's question, but somebody asked him about you know, basically at some point, like you, you can you just keep getting players once you have a Super Bowl win? And, and he was talking about, well, I guess at some point we have to, you know, we won't have enough money. And, you know, we haven't really seen that yet, <laughs> even with the like the seven dollars and twenty five cents uh, they were from the salary cap peak or whatever it was that they, you know, rejiggered. So there, there's certainly a level of resourcefulness and imagination in play that I think really and, and you know, assertiveness and alertness that is uh, pretty, pretty fascinating. And, and certainly it must have to do with the, the both winning the Super Bowl and what's understood to be the culture here now under under Andy Reid and with recruiter top recruiter Patrick Mahomes around. 
Yeah, it's it's not exactly like player first, right? Like it's it's team first, but the players I think pretty obviously get along and, and have fun. And it's a situation it used to be the Patriots, right? Like the Patriots used to get all these guys, uh, you know, Corey Dillon, Randy Moss, like, I mean, you know, some stars, if they had some choices. Um, that's where they went, and now that's the Chiefs, um, and that is <laughs> a million percent Patrick Mahomes. You know, like I mean, it, it's it's not all him, but it all starts with him, um, and it comes down because when you know before he got here, a lot of these other pieces were in place, and they weren't getting all these guys. Those guys were still going to the Patriots or some other teams. To to me, the Baker move is is to see what he's got, and it's 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 a long term play more than a short term fix because they're getting Legarius Sneed back. They still have Breland. They still have Charvarius Ward. Those are three guys that have played primarily on the outside. DeAndre Baker plays primarily on the outside. But he's a former first-round pick who did not have a great rookie year coming out of Georgia last year, but was good down the stretch. He, he improved as the season went on. And as a cornerback, that's one of the hardest positions to make that jump from college to the NFL. So that's to be expected that you're going to struggle in your first few games. Now, Pro Football Focus thought he really struggled in his first month or so, but they did rate him pretty well late in the season. Um, but I, I think the Chiefs are seeing what they have. You know, it's not like he's. I don't. I don't. I don't anticipate him making a significant contribution on this season's roster, but I do expect him to be on this team's roster before the season's up. And the reason that's important is because how much do you showcase him? Do, do you sort of see what you have and then you can make a contract for next season? You know, Breland's a free agent. Um, we'll see what happens with Charvarius Ward as well. Um, obviously, Snead will be back, but one, that's a position you can never have enough of. But, but two, I, I think when you have a first-round talent, a guy that you probably also rated as a first-round talent, it, it, it's, it, it pays a lot of dividends to potentially see what's there for the future, not just for this season. And, and that's a fantastic point, Mac, because you, as you nailed it on the head there, Brilliant is a free agent next year. Ward is a restricted free agent next year. And that's the reason why I asked Andy Reid, what do you remember the most of Baker during the pre-draft process. And of course, you know, Andy Reid's going to, uh, he's a good player. I'm sure there was more to it than just you thought he was a good player, but that's the key thing there. You know, a first round draft pick that you're able to put on your practice squad because you may not necessarily need him this year, but because Breland's a free agent next year, if you're unable to bring him back, now you've got a first round draft pick, you're able to go ahead and plug and play. Tell you what, too, the Giants really wanted him. They they traded into the first round to to get him. He was their he was their third first round pick in 2019. That was the, um, you know, they, they got the quarterback early and and then they they traded a fourth and a fifth. Uh, I think it was to Seattle to jump into the first round to to get DeAndre Baker at um, at number 30. You know, Blair, they did really want him then, but they really did not want him now, which I don't I know. know what to make of that exactly because he's the, the charges were dropped. Joe Judge was asked about it on Monday, and he said, we've moved on from, from that situation. We've moved on from DeAndre Baker. So I, I don't know exactly what to make of that. If, if the charges were dropped here, does that mean everything else about him, personality, locker room fit is clean? No, not necessarily. And I think it was a little bit telling that the Giants did not want to bring him back this week. You're also dealing with a first-year coach there, though. You know, the judge's first year, and he, he, he's coming from New England, so maybe he's trying to send a message, hey, if you got anything in your background, that's not the way we're going to roll. I, I think it's a shame that he was cut before all the legal process worked itself out. And I understand teams like to have a, 
you know, a, a trigger happy mentality on this. Hey, let's cut the guy. But the process still hadn't played out. When Dunbar was cleared, that should have been their first hint. Let's see how this plays out before we make any kind of move on this guy. What, one of the great advantages that a, a team like the Chiefs has in a situation like this, though, is that there's no investment. Like, you know, their standard is, is right here right now. It used to be down here, right? But their standard is right here now. And if DeAndre Baker gets here, then he's gone. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's got to rise up to it. This, this is sort of like a all tides lifting the boats kind of situation. I, I, you know, the chiefs are not, they're not tied to him. Like he needs them more than, more than they need him. So that's, that's one of those situations where you expect the, 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 the guy, the kid to, to rise to the moment. And as a couple of our uh, readers have pointed out, uh, there's the McCole Hardman connection in the locker room. I mean, I imagine, yeah. I imagine Brett Beach and McCole Hardman had a conversation about uh, about DeAndre Baker. McCole Hardman, of course, played at Georgia, so uh, and was, was a college teammate. So, and that's and Blair, that's where you knew they scouted DeAndre Baker because if if you were watching film on McCole Hardman, it means you were watching Georgia tape. They knew darn well what Baker was doing down there in Georgia. Right. They liked him. I mean, for whatever it's worth, I remember having a conversation with somebody uh, who works for the Chiefs. They they really liked DeAndre Baker out of the draft. They didn't think that he was a first round guy. Um, they liked him more, you know, kind of in the middle of the second round. But they they liked him. They liked him as a player. Okay, good story in the paper this morning by Sam McDowell on on Patrick Mahomes' motivational tactics or whatever you want to call them to how uh, what what seems to get Patrick Mahomes uh, fired up for a game and nothing quite does it like a loss, right? And uh, and of course he's got. Uh, uh, he's got the this one instance of a loss this year. It just happens to come to a team they knew they were going to play a second time this season. That second time has arrived, and I don't think Patrick Mahomes was um, uh, maybe maybe he's saving his you know, his talk for the game or whatever. I don't think his answers were great, but I thought it was a great idea to get into that topic, Sam and. What else did you learn about what motivates Patrick Mahomes? Uh, what, what, what gets him going for games? Yeah, I think we have the history that we didn't have to rely on yesterday's meeting with the media because all of us didn't think that was that great. He didn't really bite on any of the questions about losing. Um, but the, the, one of the stories I, I told in, in the article was I remember going to White House last year and talking to his high school coaches, and they said after he lost his, his last high school football game of his career, him and a couple of buddies are on the bus texting the basketball coach wanting to play the next day. And the coach is like, God, what do I do? You know, these guys haven't even practiced. How am I going to play him? And they were so insistent. He did play him on a Saturday afternoon. And he still has a video clip actually from a play that, that Patrick Mahomes had made in that game um, because he just thought it was something, it was actually a pass. He thought it was something he'd never seen before. And it, it's funny, you know, we, we've, we've, especially this summer with last dance, you saw a, a fantastic athlete, one of the best of all time, try and f work his way into motivation by at times even making stuff up. I don't think that Mahomes is quite that way, although we've seen him do the counting on his for, – for what was the, the ranked fourth in the NFL Top 100, the Mitchell Trubisky thing. But I don't know that that is as motivating to him as, as it is. He's just kind of pointing it out. But I do think the law losing is very motivating to him. You can tell it just really irks him. It irks him when he doesn't play well, but especially when it's a loss. And, and the two best examples of it were last year. 
he tore up those two teams that they lost to in the regular season with the Titans and Texans. And I don't think that's a coincidence. Yeah. Um, and, and he was, look, he was hurt in those games too, right? He, this was, uh, he had the ankle injury from the Jaguars in, in week one. And this was before he'd hurt his knee at Denver, but he was, he wasn't a hundred percent in those games, especially that Colts game. He was, um, you know, just, just, just not there. Um, or I'm sorry, not the Colts game. Um, what am I thinking? Uh, well, he came back in the Titans game, and that was his first game yeah, back right. from the knee injury, and he, he definitely wasn't quite 100% yet. Right. You're right. That's right. Um, so I always think about this, though. Like, I'm sorry, just real quick. Like, and Sam just mentioned it, but that, that Lamar Jackson thing, the ego required to find disrespect in being called the fourth best in the world at what you do. <laughs> is surpassed only by the talent required to be like justifiably disrespected by being the fourth in the world. Like that is one of the most incredible things that I, I, it just, it blows my mind every time I think about it. <laughs> I, I still think, and I'll, I'll kind of throw this out to you guys to, to see your, what, how you gauge it. I still think he does that stuff more to kind of point it out as opposed to pregame getting like amped up because of something like that. That's probably true. It's a little showy, you know? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Well, look, I mean, just to tie some of this together, Sam Mellinger, you made this point uh, either on a podcast we did earlier or on Twitter, but there's no way he's not cooking up a, a bus-type celebration right now, and, there's, and, and he's going to blow it off after the game exactly as you laid it out by saying it was really a tribute to Gus, <laughs> the bus driver at White House. I mean, there's going to be something like that, and <laughs> that we all know is his tell, right? <laughs> it's just like, and then leave it hanging, and then go on to the next question. A hundred percent. Yep. Well, and you and you and you and Sam will be fighting over who's writing that after the game. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure Sam is going to text me after this and say, "I'm calling that right now." <laughs> I got the bus driver at another angle. Yeah. Well, keep in mind that column won't be posted until about midnight on, uh, you know, on yeah. Monday. Hey, it's Blair. We have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners, unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Stars award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site and it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. Your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at 50 bucks, unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. Speaking of, uh, of bus rides and feeling disrespected, I was a little surprised that, and, and listen, we've gotten almost 30 minutes into this show without bringing up the story that kind of dominated the early part of the week. And that's the, of course, the, the victory lap that the Raiders took at Arrowhead Stadium. Uh, I've been reading some uh, Raiders, uh, Las Vegas newspaper and, and, and uh, some Raiders uh, commentary that Chiefs fans are making too much of this, and I don't. Maybe so, but it's, it's Chiefs Raiders. Maybe if it's another opponent, it's not as interesting or fun. But it's just fun, right? It's it's fun because it's Chiefs Raiders, and it's fun because it's John Gruden, and 
it's fun. It's just fun for, for many reasons. But um, I, I think it, it, it's not a, it wasn't a big deal when it happened. And nobody, it, nobody seemed to know about it when it happened. It was not until you started hearing whispers about it later in the week after the loss. And, uh, and then as the weeks went on, it became a little bit bigger story. And, and now, of course, with the Raiders here, it did dominate uh, the Kansas City talk, sports talk in the first couple days of, of this week. So let's, let, let's do this. Instead of uh, you know, just saying how we feel about what, what, uh, what happened, I, I wanted to ask you guys if you can come up with some sort of pick any sport in any uh, occasion of perceived disrespect that you particularly enjoyed or were offended by or made you feel something. And, um, and I've, I've got a couple in mind that, uh, that from one from uh, college basketball and one from baseball, but I want to hear you guys and, uh, and, and see if you guys can had come up with any sort of uh, moments of sports disrespect. And, uh, and then maybe at the end we can compare it to what John Gruden uh, did at, at Arrowhead Stadium. So, Melly, this is just your, this is your wheelhouse here. It really is, <laughs> and so I am I am thankful to you for for setting me up like this. And oh, look at this! It's a list I made. <laughs> well, you probably you probably covered all of them uh, that, that we'll all have. <laughs> so, so first of all, like preemptively, um, I've got Travis Kelsey or Patrick Mahomes driving the bus in the end zone this weekend. That's that's, that's, that's a future procedure. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, um, I'm going to save the, my favorite for last. But you remember Todd Haley wagging his finger at Josh McDaniels? That was a good time. Um, Pedro Serrano and Sam Castle or Sam Cassell with the uh, yeah, 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 I remember that. What do you call that? Uh, I said onions. Okay. Uh, Randy Moss, um, who drove uh, Joe Buck nuts. <laughs> uh, Baker Mayfield. I just was reminded of this one on, on Twitter the other day. Baker Mayfield with uh, when Kay wouldn't uh, shake his hands. Oh, that's a great one, right? At midfield pregame. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you remember Kendrick Morales in the playoffs? I can't remember if it was four, I think it was 15 against the Astros. And uh, I guess somebody with Houston had done this this move across the neck and he hit a home run. And when he stepped on the plate, he, he did that. That was a good time. Uh, Joe Kelly. This one was great. The, the crybaby thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was, that was great. He, he actually like then later posted pictures. Of, there's a mural in LA of him doing the crybaby thing. And he stood in front of that mural doing the crybaby thing and posted it on Instagram. It was great. Uh, when I was a kid, I have this distinct memory and I don't know, you know, it's a long time ago, so maybe I, my memory got confused or something. But I have a distinct memory of being at a KU-Oklahoma uh, basketball game. And uh, it went into overtime. And um, Oklahoma just smoked KU. This, this is in the 80s. Oklahoma smoked KU in, in the overtime. And Billy Tubbs calls a timeout with a few seconds left. Nobody huddles. They just walk around the, the arena, like, flipping the bird at everybody. That was amazing. Um I don't know how disrespectful this is, but Bo Jackson, you remember when he threw out Harold Reynolds and he did like the little, little gun thing? <laughs> and then uh, my favorite of all time, my favorite of all time, and thank you again for letting me talk like this. Uh, my favorite of all time was Scottie Pippen dunking on Ewing in the playoffs. Do you remember that? That's on my list. 
And then he like walked over him. It's amazing. And then, and, amazing. Then, and then walked over to Spike Lee and said, sit your ass down or whatever. That is. Yeah. Oh, that's the best one. That is the best one. So all right. thank you for allowing me to filibuster. Oh, Andrew Leifer reminds us of a, of a, uh, a recent one, the Monmouth player who stole the ball. Was it from Tristan Anaruna or whoever it was that was dribbling out the last couple of seconds? And the Monmouth player comes up from behind, steals the ball, and goes down for a dunk <laughs> in a 50-point 50, 50 game. <laughs> it was bad. It was like, you know, giving, giving the Allen Fieldhouse crowd uh, guff about it himself. Yeah, yeah. All right, Vahe, what do you do? You, do you have one or two? That, well, I, I, yeah, I got follow that up. Sorry, guys. My list here that it, it, not as elaborate, um, but I, I it made me think of one idea. It, the whole the whole concept here is the way people concoct disrespect, right? I mean, that's that's part of this whole deal, and that that's part of the the, the, the core of this this week's theme too. So it just got me thinking about um, one of the greatest concoctions I ever saw, which was um, Blair. You might remember this. Yeah, you other kids might not, but um, Missouri Oklahoma football game mid '90s, uh, back in the day, um, where you could roam the halls at Oklahoma, even if you were covering Missouri, and go just into assistant coaches' offices. It was a I, long time. ago. I know where you're going with this one. So it, I'm down there to, to preview some stuff, and there's, there's locker, locker room material that's come out about Gary Pinkle ripping o Oklahoma's coaches. And it's like they, weren't even, they don't even have a staff that we saw in the MAC. They're terrible. They're, they're just, their defense is awful. All this stuff. And it's clearly like, well, I didn't hear any of that. And so George Schrader and I, I walk in the hallway, and I think we actually found the bulletin board, and it was – it was stuff written like a far side comic, like backwards letters and, and you know, random capitalization. It was, it was, and it was, but it, they put Mike the Armand's uh, byline on it <laughs> from the star. Yeah. <laughs> so that's funny enough, but then, then we, we uh, went into, we just walk into Mike Stoop's office and say, Hey, Mike, uh, none of this is, none of this is true. And he just kind of smiled and goes, I don't know anything about it. It turned out a grand assistant <laughs> on it. And, but the punchline is, Going in and talking to Oklahoma players after that, and they're talking about the disrespect Missouri showing them. And uh, I, I just tell the one player, I can't remember who it was. I said, "This, this, you know, this isn't true. This is actually made up." He goes, "Well, it's too late. It's too late." <laughs> That's what I remember. And it, and it was all reinforced by watching the the last dance, of course. Right, Jordan's amazing ability to take the uh, nugget of a a sliver of a germ of a perceived slight and make it into, you know, a holy war. It was just, just unbelievable. All right. So I'm, um, I've got a few as well. Uh, the, the only one that's been mentioned so far that was on my list, the, the Scotty Pippen should be on everybody's list. Um, but uh, one that involves a, a hometown kid, uh, AI stepping over Tyron Lou in the NBA finals was memorable. Um, Damian Lillard, uh, with the, with the wave by to the, uh, thunder in the playoffs is on my list. Uh, the Jordan, my favorite Jordan moment is when he gave, uh, Matumbo the finger wag back after he dunked on him. Um, and then Reggie, Reggie Miller's, uh, choke to Spike Lee after he scored eight points in like, what was it? 15 seconds. That, that, that's probably my favorite one. <laughs> That's a great list. <laughs> They're all, I will say, the NBA rules this category. 
<laughs> and they also are now doing it on social media. Damian Lillard is incredible on social media, taunting guys. I think he invited uh, Patrick Beverly to Mexico after the Clippers got eliminated this year. <laughs> I just the NBA embraces this stuff. And you you started off by saying, "Hey, stuff we liked, or maybe stuff we were offended by." I'm offended by none of this. All of this needs to happen more often. Hundred yeah. percent. All right, Herbie. We have nothing in the NFL, I think, so far. Herbie is going to be the guy who's offended by some of this. I feel like. You <laughs> have you actually had Scotty Pippen dunking over Ewing because that was like during back in the day when I was really into the NBA. But I've got two uh, examples of not necessarily perceived slights; they were slights. Uh, Pistons, nineteen ninety one. Bulls just swept them and they walked off the floor. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, that's a good yeah. One. with three seconds to go or so, right? I'm sorry. Yeah, it was just with a couple. The game wasn't over. Didn't they walk off the yeah, floor? The with- not over. Isaiah Thomas led the march off the field uh, or off the court, and of course, the Bulls went on to defeat the Lakers in the NBA Finals that year. But that situation came back to haunt Isaiah Thomas because in 1992, when they started putting the Dream Team together, who was the main person who said, "I don't want Thomas on the team"? Michael Jordan. So that perceived slight, or not necessarily perceived, it was a slight to the Bulls cost Isaiah Thomas a shot at the dream team. Second one, hey, I love Sean Payton. 2018 playoffs uh, up in Minnesota. Will Lutz just kicks the go-ahead kick with like 25 seconds left. He thinks the game's over, so he turns to the crowd and starts doing the skull chant. What happens? Case Keenum and Stefan Diggs hook up for the Minneapolis Miracle and Sean Payton had an egg on his face. So that slight to the chief or to the Vikings fans came back to haunt him as well. Um, all right. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the NFL. Andrew Leifer brings up another great one when Tio ran out to the star. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. That was great. Uh, terrific. Um, I when I my, my baseball example was just the the Jose Batista bat flips um, in in the playoffs. Those are look. I, I think those are fantastic, and I, I think everybody should do a bat flip. But I know. You know the opposing team takes a little bit of offense to that, and and you're likely to get your next batter, you know, plucked uh, with uh, with a pitch because of that. But I guess my all my, my, my all time favorite. We're going to return to <laughs> to a place where we have visited a couple times in this conversation, and that's Oklahoma. Um, and it actually involves Oklahoma. The the the, the slight came at Kansas. This was in. The, the mid-1980s, I hadn't come to Kansas City yet, but I've read about this, that Oklahoma and Billy Tubbs, uh, rest in peace, Billy Tubbs, uh, clinched the Big 8 championship with a victory over the Jayhawks at Allen Fieldhouse. And as the Kansas fan, the, the final buzzer um, goes and, and uh, fans are clearing out, and, but Oklahoma doesn't leave the court. What they do is they bring ladders and scissors onto the floor and they cut the nets at Allen Fieldhouse <laughs> <laughs> on, the road, on the road after clinching first place in the Big Eight, and I just thought that is the biggest, uh, <laughs> the biggest fight I've ever heard. But that was that was classic Billy Tubbs, and that was Big Eight basketball in the 1980s. But the NBA, you guys are right. That is so so much of this is is, is NBA theater, and I don't think what John Gruden did. Uh, in week five rises to the level of any of this. And it's just a little, kind of a little petty. I don't even know if his players were on board with doing it. Um, 
or would would be on board with doing it. But it's something John Gruden decided to do. And and when if this game ends up being played Sunday night, uh, we will that that'll absolutely be a storyline for Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth on 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 the on the show uh, during the broadcast. So, do you think any video exists of that bus ride? How, how could somebody with a cell phone camera not have had that somewhere, you know? I haven't seen it, yeah. though. Yeah, I'm kind of interested in that. Um, <laughs> Sam, put up another uh, tweet asking for, for the video. <laughs> yeah, if the bus driver won't reach out, maybe maybe somebody's not. <laughs> you know, we uh, asked John Gruden, uh, uh, I think it was Adam Teicher asked him on the teleconference yesterday. Uh, he sort of backdoored a question about the victory lap and just said, why was that game so important to you guys? And he said, well, I don't know if you guys have been, I, I should say, I'm not quoting, I'm paraphrasing, but it was pretty close. He, he said, I don't know if you guys have been paying attention, but we've sucked lately. We haven't been very good. <laughs> so when we win a game, it's a, it's a big deal around here. Um, but the reason it matters is it, it, all of us know Andy Reid well enough and his answers to know he is legitimately pissed about this thing. 100%. <laughs> no, his, I, was like, I was surprised by his response when he was asked, when he was asked about it on, um, I guess, on Monday, right? Uh, interesting. So. All right, guys. Let's uh, let's leave it here. Leave it here and uh, and bid farewell and thank Beth Welsh, our producer, for putting the show together. So for for Sam Vahe, Sam and Herbie, I'm Blair Kirkhoff. Thanks for joining us this morning, and we will be back uh, about an hour and a half after the Sunday game against the Las Vegas Raiders. Take care. That'll do it for today. Thanks to our production staff of Derek Donovan, Randy Mason, Beth Welsh, Jeff Rosen, Chris Pickett, and Savannah Smith. A tip of the cap to Sam Mellinger, Vahe Gregorian, Sam McDowell, and Herbie Teope for talking Chiefs. Links to their stories can be found in the show notes and on KansasCity.com. Hey, we got another deal for you, especially for those who want to deep dive into the Star's terrific Chiefs coverage. For a limited time, you can subscribe to Sports Pass for 99 cents a month. That's right, 99 pennies a month. After three months, it auto-renews at $5.99 a month unless you cancel. How do you get it? You go to kansascity.com slash sportspass2020. That's kansascity.com slash sportspass2020. Do you want more than just sports coverage? I know I do. Check out the entire Kansas City Star product, sports news features, commentary, and analysis, the whole thing. You get all the stories written by my talented colleagues, plus additional news, sports, and business coverage that comes with the E-Edition. The details for all of these deals can be found at account.kansascity.com slash subscribe. And if you're having trouble hunting down any of these offers, send me an email at bkirkoff at kcstar.com, and I'll get you to the right place. Whether it's a sports pass or the full subscription, you're getting and supporting the best sports and news coverage in Kansas City and helping us produce programs like Sports BKC. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back on Friday with another episode.